two full months before July 4, 1776, Rhode Island had already declared independence from His Majesty. Few were surprised. Residents of the colony had, four years earlier, attacked and burned one of His Majesty's revenue schooners that was enforcing unpopular trade regulations in the Narragansett Bay. The colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, its original name, was begun in dissent. It was formed as a colony by Roger Williams, a dissenting minister. Who was dissenting from? The Congregationalist in Massachusetts. When Roger and Mary Williams arrived at Boston, February 1631, it was great timing, as the official reverend there, Reverend John Wilson, had returned to England to bring his wife to Boston. So, great, Williams could replace him. But to the shock and dismay of the residents of Boston, Roger Williams said no. Williams, who was a dissenting Protestant from England, said Massachusetts Congregationalist Church was no better than the Church of England. It was, as he said, an unseparated church. He noted how Massachusetts authorities punished idolatry, Sabbath-breaking, blasphemy. Here in Massachusetts, to his disgust, church and civil law were mixed. As a separatist, he concluded that the Church of England was irredeemably corrupt, too mixed up with civil government, and that one must completely separate from it to establish a new church for the true and pure worship of God. He called for a high wall of separation between the Garden of Christ and the wilderness of the world. He bounced around, became the assistant preacher at Salem, visited with Baptists, spread his own theology, made some friends. He didn't like any of the churches in the colonies at the time and wished for a sign from heaven of a new one. Among his radical beliefs, the Indians owned the land in America and the English should be paying them to use it. Well, that did it. Finally, in October 1635, he was tried by the General Court of Massachusetts and convicted of sedition, of spreading diverse, new, and dangerous opinions. He was to be banished and the sheriff was sent to his house only to discover that Roger Williams had slipped away three days before in the middle of a blizzard, and he walked through the snow from Salem, Massachusetts, to 105 miles away, Narragansett Bay, and he would have died, except for his contacts with Indians and the knowledge that Indians had of his philosophy and friendship towards them. They took him in. A year later, he was joined by 12 loving friends from Salem, and settled on land from the Narragansett. He called it Providence, because he felt that God's providence had brought him there. He said that his settlement was to be a haven for those distressed of conscience, and it soon attracted quite a collection of dissenters and otherwise-minded individuals. From the beginning, the settlement was governed by a democracy, a majority vote of the heads of households. But the majority vote could not apply to religious beliefs. To help the colony grow, newcomers could be admitted full citizenship by a majority vote. Eventually, they took on the name that the original sailors who viewed the island had given it, which was a reference of a red clay bed, or perhaps the Greek Isle of Rhodes, Rhode Island. And as that colony became a state and sent delegates to the Continental Congress, Rhode Island sent men of two religions. Quite fitting. One Congregationalist, who had worked with Baptists to found a university, and the other a Quaker. 
It's worthwhile that I first point out a man who probably should have been one of the signers. Samuel Ward was a respected Rhode Islander and was known in the colonies for being the only colonial governor to refuse to implement the Stamp Act and, of course, have to resign. He was on the Continental Congress for all the stands against Great Britain prior to the signing of the Declaration. Had he continued, it's very likely Samuel Ward would have been one of the names of the signers. But by early in the year 1776, he was too ill to continue in office. And then in March, he died of smallpox. His last words being, Heaven help my country. It was William Ellery who then took his seat and is now one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence that we remember. William Ellery was a graduate of Harvard College, customs collector, clerk of the Rhode Island General Assembly. He was not a reluctant patriot by any means. He was active in Rhode Island's Sons of Liberty. As the colonial disputes with England became more and more intense, Ellery helped lead a riotous march of Rhode Islanders through Providence in resistance to the Stamp Act in 1765. After the events of Massachusetts, Ellery announced, you must exert yourself. There is liberty and fire enough. It only requires the application of the bellows. Blow, then, a blast that will shake this country. No reluctant patriot. In Congress, he served as a member of the Marine Committee and suggested that five ships be built and placed in Rhode Island. Writing to the president of Yale regarding the proposals for accommodation, recently offered by Britain. He said, The door is shut. We have been driven into a declaration of independency, and we must not forget our former love of our British brethren. The sword must determine our quarrel. And they would get the sword. Soon the British would occupy Rhode Island's other large settlement, Newport, and the British burned Ellery's dwelling house and did much to damage any property owned by him near the city. So like many other scientists, he lost real property and highly valuable edifices. After the revolution in 1790, President Washington appointed William Ellery as collector of customs for the Newport District. And that was a post he retained through all the changes of national administrations until his death as one of the later signers to die 30 years later. Ellery was present to sign the engrossed copy of the Declaration of Independence on the 2nd of August in 1776, a day we don't celebrate, but a day when most, but not all, of the other signers were present in signing. This is what he wrote about the famous event. I was determined to see how they all looked as they signed, what might be their death warrant. I placed myself besides the secretary, Charles Thompson, and eyed each closely as each affixed their name to the document. Undaunted resolution was displayed in every countenance. We talked about Roger Smith and his small band of followers who settled the city of Providence. One of his followers was Thomas Hopkins, his great-grandson, a pioneer of religious liberty and early democracy, would be one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. His reach for liberty might have been founded in his reach for the stars. A student of math and science, among his hobbies was a surveyor and astronomer. And that man we are talking about is Stephen Hopkins. And it was involved in taking measurement during the 1769 transit of Venus across the sun. It was an international astronomical event at the time. It was not just a hobby, though. This important event was done to put the American colonies on the map and to locate the correct longitude for Providence. Very important for commerce. You might say the GPS calculation of their day. On Earth, Hopkins was a successful merchant and a part owner of an iron foundry, 
but always served in various public bodies in the colony. He was Chief Justice of Rhode Island, and for 15 years he served as Governor of the colony and state. In 1754, Hopkins got his taste of intercolonial cooperation when he was a delegate from Rhode Island to a meeting in New York called the Albany Congress, which convened to discuss the common defense of the collective colonies and to hold a conference with the Five Nations of Indians to secure their assistance in thwarting the French. Now, the purpose of this meeting was not taking on the King of Great Britain, but here he and others considered Benjamin Franklin's early plan for uniting the colonies. The principle of the plan were rejected both in the colonies and Great Britain, but the spark of the idea could not be removed. He and the aforementioned Samuel Ward were rivals, battled for the governorship. Hopkins was a provident city man. Ward was a Newport man. They battled over hard money versus paper money, an American political debate that would go on for years. The rivalry between the two men had become so heated that Hopkins sued Ward for 40,000 pounds and lost. For the good of the colony, at one point, they decided to put aside their differences and place a neutral person in the governorship. After that, they became friends. Hopkins had become well-known in the 13 colonies 10 years before the Independence Declaration when he published a pamphlet called The Rights of the Colonies Examined, which was critical of British Parliament and its taxation policies. Liberty, Hopkins said, is the greatest blessing that men can enjoy, and slavery the heaviest curse that human nature is capable of. It went on to present a clear and logical review of the relationship of the American colonies and the mother country. Now, the document that Adams wrote, the document that Tom Paine wrote, that gets all the press. But this one was pretty good too and pretty well known at the time. Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson, no fan of these type of pamphlets, wrote of it, it was conceived in a higher strain than any that were sent out by the colonies. He was involved in the Gatsby affair where that British revenue schooner was destroyed. He tried to calm down retribution by the British authority. He and other officials took visible steps to find the culprits who burned the ship. But behind the scenes, Hopkins did what he could to thwart any attempts to really identify the people and find the attackers. When a royal commission finally got fed up and was appointed by Great Britain to investigate the incident, they demanded that any indicted persons be sent to England for trial. This egregious threat to local liberty prompted the colonists to form the Committee of Correspondence. And when loyalist Massachusetts Governor Hutchinson further aggravated the colonists by urging Britain to rescind Rhode Island's charter, Rhode Island was moved towards independence. Little doubt. When Stephen Hopkins entered Continental Congress, he said, It shall be decided by powder and ball, and if anyone cannot make that adjustment, they should retire at once. Unlike the Southerners, unlike the Pennsylvanians, no qualms about the Patriot cause. And they came from a constituency where that was an easier position to have. John Adams appreciated Hopkins in and out of Congress, and Adams' observation gives you a little bit of appreciation for the soul of the man. Governor Hopkins of Rhode Island, above 70 years of age, kept us alive. Upon business, his experience and judgment were very useful. But when the business of the evening was over, he kept us in conversation till 11 and sometimes 12 o'clock. His custom was to drink nothing all day or till 8 o'clock in the evening. And then his beverage was Jamaica spirit and water. It gave him wit, humor, antidotes, science, learning. 
He had read Greek, Roman, and British history, and was familiar with English poetry, particularly Pope, Thompson, and Milton. And the flow of his soul made all of his reading our own, and seemed to bring to recollection in all of us all that we had ever read. You read in, in what Adam's saying, you know, Adam was very, at least with the people he liked who were in that Continental Congress, he was very flattering in, in all of that. But you see in that a little uh, nugget of, of what might have happened in those days. You know, there was no internet, obviously, no audiobooks, no iPads. We know all that. There wasn't even a lot of book possession, although these men who signed this declaration were generally of a higher level in terms of income and possessions and probably had larger libraries. But you didn't read everything. So your audiobook, your internet, your iPad, your common experience was at the taverns, was at the meeting houses, where someone would make a book alive to you by telling you what they thought of it. And that's a great compliment for somebody like Stephen Hopkins, who was able to do that for his friends. Hopkins signed the document, but you'll notice something about his signature. It's a little shaky. That's because Hopkins was ill, and he had to, after the signing in September 76, resign from the Continental Congress and return home to Rhode Island though he would get better and remain an active member of Rhode Island's politics. He died in his home in Providence in 1785, the age of 78, and was buried in the North Burial Ground. The SS Stephen Hopkins, a liberty ship named in his honor, was the first U.S. ship to sink, a German surface warship in World War II. In the summer of 76, with worsening palsy in his hands, Hopkins signed the Declaration of Independence while holding his right hand with his left, and it is said that he remarked, My hand trembles, but my heart does not. I want to thank you for listening. I also do a podcast called My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. Find it on iTunes or www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. Thank you for listening.